0: Let's pray together. In Psalm 78, we find these words of challenge and encouragement. We're reminded that he, the Lord, established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget his works, but keep his commandments. And Father, we come before you this morning on this Palm Sunday, Father, with those words in mind, with that truth from Scripture, because you've given us that mandate, you've given us that that commission, that great commission to take the gospel, the beautiful message that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has died for our sins and risen from the dead, and that anyone and everyone who believes in him can be saved and will be saved. Father, that you've given us the commission to take that news that someone once handed to us and hand it on to the next generation. Father, as we heard a few minutes ago, that's what the ministry of of the camp is all about, telling the gospel to the next generation. Father, Palm Sunday is very much about that as well, as we stand at the the door to Holy Week and and the very essence and foundation of our faith as believers in Jesus Christ. Lord, we have a story to tell to one another, to the next generation, to the unbelieving world around us. And Father, in just a few minutes, we're going to have some precious members of our church family Stand before us, Lord, in the waters of baptism and tell us the story of how you changed their life, that the gospel that we preach and the gospel that we proclaim and the gospel that we treasure is the gospel they have believed, that they love Jesus Christ and have put their faith in him. Father, thank you that you give us days and occasions, mornings like this when we can come together, Father, to preach the word, to, to sing your praise, but also to hear the testimony of the power of God to change a human life. And so, Father, we just ask that for the next few minutes as we spend some time in your word and then as we continue to worship and we go to baptism, that, that as always, Father, ultimately you would be at the very center of our attention, that you would be on the throne of our hearts and lives. Father, that as we look to your word, that you would be the one by your Holy Spirit to guide us in truth. Lord, truths that perhaps we've heard before, but truths that we most certainly need to hear again. Father, that your Holy Spirit would come and guard us from error and confusion and misunderstanding, that today above all days, Lord, that the the gospel of Jesus Christ would be clear. Father, I pray in these next few moments, if if there's still just anything in our hearts, Lord, that's going to going to keep us, going to hinder us from hearing, Lord, not what I have to say, not even what those who will be baptized have to say, but what you want to say to us through our time here this morning. Lord, that you would bring that to our attention, that you would sweep it away so that for these next few minutes together we might truly see Jesus. Lord, may we see Jesus clearly this morning in the preaching of your word and the proclaiming of the gospel. May we see Jesus only this morning in each of those things as well. And Father, as we just sang, we're going to leave in a little while. We want to leave rejoicing. Lord, not because we came to church, not because the baptisms were, made us smile and, and made us cry, Father, but because in all of these things we're doing together, we got to spend time sitting at the feet of Jesus who loved us enough to lay his life down for us and then took it up again in victory. It is in his name and for his glory that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, I will mention that today and I think you know this already because it's Baptism Sunday, we don't do children's church. We think that, that what's about to happen here in the next little while is so significant and so important that every member of our church family possible, uh, to, that, could, uh, that could witness it, possi- that possibly could, that children and adults alike could hear these stories of changed lives and the gospel in action and what it's done. And, and we're gonna get to that in a few minutes, but first we wanna spend some time to sort of uh, head in that direction in God's words. If you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 19. I want you to find your way to Luke 19. If you don't have a Bible today, if you're visiting with us, maybe you can certainly grab one, or, or everything I'm going to read from the Scriptures in the next few minutes is also going to be on the screens here uh, behind me so that you can follow along. As I've said many times, I'm a big believer that, that to see and hear God's Word just, just sort of doubles that impact. Uh, and as you're making your way there, I just, I just want to point out or make mention of a couple of things, and, and then I promise we'll get right into God's Word, and then I'll get out of the way, and we'll get on to baptism Um, But today is the beginning of of Holy Week. Today is Palm Sunday. We're going to talk about that in this passage we're going to look at. And as I have shared with you and even challenged you the past couple of Sundays, I want to challenge you once again to join us this week. Uh, Sometimes it's a long journey from Sunday, Palm Sunday to Good Friday, and and life gets busy and we get distracted and we show up on Good Friday or, or maybe even just on Easter Sunday. And we're hoping that by the time the service is over, we will have engaged with the Easter story once again. Well, we we think there's a way to overcome that, and so all week long, uh, each night this week, except for Wednesday, we're gonna be gathering together to pray uh, and and to worship God. Just an hour each night at 6.30, starting tonight. I know there's a basketball game tonight. Come anyway. You have a DVR, you can record the game. In fact, I know, I was looking at, Just this is just... This is free. I thought, you know, we've got a good crowd this morning, and I know it's Baptism Sunday, but I also know there's a game tipping, on at 11, tipping off at 11 o'clock here, right? Because I'm looking out, and some of you didn't know we had a first service until this morning, and I think you're here because of that. It's just a hunch that I have. But I know there's all sorts of things, and there's all sorts of reasons we could say, yeah, that sounds nice, but, but once again, not tonight, not this year. I want to, and I'll use the word again, challenge you to join us at least once. I know you probably can't make it every night, but at least once, maybe more times this week, as we gather to pray through uh, the hours that Jesus spent on the cross paying the price for our sin. It'll be an hour of worship, an hour of prayer. Nobody gets put on the spot or embarrassed. Nobody has to stand up and give a long prayer in front of the group, but we seek God together. We did this last year, and I can tell you to a man, a woman, a young person, those who came, they kept coming up to me after Easter Sunday saying, Easter was so different this year, my heart was ready your heart can be ready too. And I know that maybe sounds like a bold claim. It may sound like I'm pleading with you. I am, but I think you ought to do it. I think you ought to join us. And here's my last suggestion with that. Come the first night, because if you wait till Thursday and think, hey, this was a really good time, you've missed three of them already. So join us tonight. We'll be Monday, Tuesday, Mo- Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. We'll be over in the commons prayer room, seeking the Lord together uh, through this holy week. And I think, I believe with all my heart, it will make uh, a huge impact in your life as we come uh, to Easter. But it is Palm Sunday and we are in God's word. I ask you to turn to Luke 19. We're gonna look at, at it here. Uh, for just a moment. And I realize, let me just say before I read the text, I realize that most of you here uh, this morning did not come to hear a, a nice long sermon from God's Word. You came because it is Baptism Sunday. And, and like me, you are anxious to see the faces and to hear the stories of those who in just a few minutes are going to obey Jesus' call, His commandment to follow Him in the waters of baptism as an expression of their faith in Jesus Christ. But again, today is also Palm Sunday, and that's a significant day Uh, In our lives as believers as well. Again, it kicks off Holy Week where we remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is, in fact, as we know, the cornerstone, the foundation, the essence of our faith. It's what being a believer is all about. This is the week where we were reminded more than ever who we are and how we came to be believers in Jesus Christ. And so, before we get to the baptisms, I want to spend just a few minutes hearing God's word. I want to read the Palm Sunday story, one of the gospel accounts of it, uh, with you. And then just offer you a couple of thoughts that I actually think tie it together with the baptisms and and what we're about to see in the remainder of our service. And, And I think it'll do so, my prayer is that it'll do so in a meaningful way. So I'm going to start reading in Luke 19, verse 28. Down through verse 40, this is a story that may be familiar to some of you, may be unfamiliar to others, but here's what happened to begin the final week of Jesus' earthly life. We're told, verse 28, that after he, Jesus, had said these things, and right before this he'd been telling parables and and teaching his disciples, when he finished that, that moment of teaching, it says, he was going on ahead, Jesus was, going up to Jerusalem, And when he approached Bethpage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. There as you enter, you will find a colt. The other gospels tell us it was a donkey tied on, tied on which no one has yet ever sat untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he, Jesus had told them. And as they were untying the colt, sure enough, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. The other gospels assure us that they gave permission that all was well. Jesus was not a horse thief. This was all on the up and up. And it says that after doing so, verse 35, they brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their coats on it and put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they, his followers, were spreading their coats on the road As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, even the stones will cry out. You know, 500 years before Jesus arrived on the scene, the Bible tells us, 500 years before Jesus was born, the Jewish, the Old Testament Jewish prophet Zechariah wrote in the book that bears his name, the Old Testament book of Zechariah, in chapter 9, verse 9, Zechariah said this to the people of Israel at the Lord's instruction. He said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem, for behold, your king is coming to you. He is just, or righteous, and endowed with, or bringing with him salvation. He is humble and mounted on a donkey. And and very shortly thereafter, uh, the Israelites, faithful followers of the Lord in the Old Testament, began to understand that that verse was, in fact, a prophecy about their Messiah, along with many other Old Testament prophecies about him as well. They understood that it was a prophecy about the Messiah, the Savior, who was on his way, and that what they were being told was a day was coming when their promised Messiah would ride into Jerusalem, he would ride in as it says here on a donkey he would arrive he would arrive to Jerusalem with with a claim and, and he would come their belief, their understanding was to take his throne and to begin to rule over the nation of Israel, the land of Israel in power and righteousness and glory. Forever, he was their savior. He was coming to rescue him. And they began to understand after a while that what Zechariah was saying is this is how he would arrive. And so, really from that time on, every faithful Israelite began to look forward to that day, to long for that day, to hope that today might be the day when Messiah arrived And you know, human nature being what it is, and and we're the same way, you know it if you think about it. I have to think, I have a hunch. That the more that the Old Testament uh, Israelites, those faithful Israelites looking for that day, the more they thought about that day, the more they longed for it, the more they looked forward to it, the more they anticipated it, the more spectacular it became in their minds, right? Doesn't that happen when we're looking forward to something exciting, a, a special day? We have this picture. Here's how it's, think of your wedding day perhaps. Here's what it's gonna be like and the glory and the majesty and it's just gonna be bigger and better and, and hopefully in many many cases, many times, It it certainly is, but I have to think that the more the ancient Israelites thought about it, the more spectacular they thought their Messiah's promised arrival was going to be, particularly, listen, since they were living in and under the authority of the Roman Empire. Because nobody threw a victory parade like the Roman Empire. See, what the historians tell us about the Roman Empire is that when a Roman emperor or a Roman general went out to war and won, which they usually did, And and then returned back to Rome in victory, they threw a parade. And I'm here to tell you the New York Yankees have nothing on what the Romans did when their victorious warriors came home. Because what they tell us is that the, the victorious emperor or the victorious general would, before arriving back in the city of Rome itself, be placed on a chariot made of gold. A golden chariot that was pulled by two massive, powerful horses. You get this image of glory and power and splendor. And and that as this victorious emperor or this victorious general rode that chariot back in, back down the streets of Jerusalem, that, 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 that battle flags would be waving, that war anthems would be played and sung, that row after row, hundreds if not thousands of mighty Roman soldiers in their polished armor would march behind that victorious king, that victorious emperor or general, just as a display of how great and how wonderful of this great victory that the king, that the general had won. And of course, as that happened, as parades always work, thousands of Roman citizens would line the streets and sing and shout that victorious king's praises. So that's the picture, at least some of the ancient Israelites had. Here's how you welcome a king to the city. Here's how you welcome a, a victor back home, back to, to, to the seat of power, to his place of authority. And I say that to you, I tell you that, because it's with that in mind that really what's been most striking to me as I've reviewed and reread the Palm Sunday story again this year. I've been looking it over over the past several weeks, looking at it intensely over the past several days. What's been most striking to me, and this is sort of a new thought to me, about the Palm Sunday story, about Jesus, we call it his triumphal entry, is how very ordinary it would have been by comparison. When you had the picture of what the Romans would do to welcome their king, their emperor, and put it alongside Jesus' arrival and the way he was welcomed here, I'm telling you, Jesus' arrival, his triumphal entry, may not have been all that impressive by comparison. Look again at what it said in verses 35 and 36. Open your Bible back up and take a look. Here's how it went down. It says they brought it, what? A donkey. Not a golden chariot, not powerful steeds, stallions, a donkey. In fact, a young donkey to Jesus. they put their coats on top of it. And then they set him on it. And then it says in verse 36, as as he was going, and we know the other gospels add uh, to the story, they spread their coats, not battle flags, coats on the street. They didn't wave uh, banners in the air. They waved, what, the only thing they could find, palm branches. And I'm sure it was a beautiful, listen, I'm not diminishing what Jesus did. I'm just saying alongside what they knew about, alongside what culturally they understood, there's a big difference. We've got uh, got coats and a donkey and tree branches to welcome Jesus. Jesus in and what I'm saying to you is my guess is that perhaps this triumphal entry was not at all what most of the Israelites living in that time expected may not have been what they had made it out in their minds what it was going to be in fact I'm sure that for a lot of them it wasn't because what they do to him five days later nailed him to a cross many of them didn't think it was certainly this is not how Messiah would come to us But here's the beautiful thing, and here's where I'm going with this. Just a couple more minutes, I promise, and then we're done. Some people there that day got it. Some people there that now what we call Palm Sunday understood what was happening. Some people there knew exactly who he was. And they may not have known and understood what he was about to do. Certainly they didn't, even though they'd been telling him, he'd been telling them. But some people got it. Look again at verses 37 and 38. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for the miracles which they had seen. And what did they shout? Blessed is the King. We know who he is who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And as I've read and reread those verses these last few days, here's the question I've been pondering in my own mind. Who were they? Who were those people, that crowd of Disciples, because in the absence of victorious soldiers, in the absence of vanquished enemies, which is also a Roman parade, whoever they defeated, they drag into town at the rear of the parade. But in the absence of all that glory and majesty of soldiers and defeated enemies and captured prisoners of war, who marched in Jesus' parade? Who marched with Jesus as he came to Jerusalem? Well, again, verse 37 gives us a clue. As he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God. And I don't think I'm stretching it too far. I don't think I'm imagining too much to say that, that what that probably means, however few or many people there were, is that in the crowd marching with Jesus that day were at least 12 former fishermen and reformed tax collectors who over the past three years had become his Most trusted associates and his closest friends. That in that crowd that day marching with Jesus were sisters Mary and Martha from the village of Bethany. It says, look again at at the beginning of our reading, it says he passed through Bethany on his way to Jerusalem. He'd just been there a couple days before. You know what he did a couple of days before? A couple of days before he raised a brother from the dead, Lazarus. I think they were probably hanging with Jesus and following him into town. I think Lazarus himself would have been there. Alive and kicking, restored to health. Probably wishing he was still in heaven, but at the same time, glad to be there just the same. Mary, Martha, Lazarus. I think Zacchaeus would have been there. You remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbed the sycamore tree because he wanted to meet Jesus? You know when that happened? First half of Luke 19. It had just happened. I bet he was there too, singing Jesus' praise, shouting about the great things that he had done. I can only think, again, but maybe perhaps as well, his mother Mary, she went everywhere. He went, her friend Mary Magdalene, they, were, they, they hung on Jesus' every word. I bet they were in the crowd that day, welcoming him into Jerusalem, singing his praise. And probably in the rest of that mix, who else would have been there? I'm guessing some sort of wild, colorful assortment of blind beggars who'd gotten their sight back. Of deaf men who'd received back their hearing. Of lame men who the Bible says began to walk and leap and praise God. I think there was a forgiven adulteress. I think there was a woman from the well. I think there was another woman perhaps who Jesus had raised her son back from the dead, given him back life, restored her son to him, along with many, many others whose names the scriptures don't record, but they're known in heaven. And they were there to welcome Jesus to Jerusalem. And despite all their differences, everyone there that day had one thing in common. You know what it was? What they all had in common is that they were people whose lives had been changed by Jesus Christ, by a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Each man, each woman, each child there on Palm, on the original what we call Palm Sunday, was an ordinary someone with an extraordinary story. A story that whatever its other details may have been, however simple or dramatic their story may have been, always ended with with essentially these words, and then I met Jesus, who told me that he loved me, who forgave me of my sin, and changed my life forever. And then I met Jesus. And that is why I'm here. And this morning, as we turn our attention to these baptisms, the very same thing is true. The very same thing is about to happen. Over the course of our two services this morning, and I encourage you to stick around for the second one. Over the course of our two services this morning, nine members of our church family are going to step. Again, they're going to obey Jesus' call to be baptized. They're going to step into the waters of baptism, and they're going to tell their story. And some of their stories are very simple. They're very straightforward. Maybe they were saved when they were young, or, or, or whatever the case may be. Some of their stories have a little bit more drama to them. But all their stories are valuable. All of their stories are important because every single one, again, what they have in common is they're all nine of them, ordinary people with extraordinary stories of Jesus Christ who has changed their lives. And we're going to listen to those stories and we're going to hear those stories and in a very real sense, what I believe this morning is those telling their stories are just joining the parade. They're already in the kingdom but now they're joining the parade. They're saying, Jesus changed my life and I'm here to tell my story. And what I want you to hear is that what he has done for them, and what he did for those folks back in Luke 19, if he has not done for you, he can. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Father, I pray for these next few minutes together as we sort of bear this story of Palm Sunday in the back of our minds So remember that Jesus came to the acclaim, to the praises of those whose lives he had changed. Father, that we really can join in that celebration this morning, that in a very real way we'll join the procession, our voices, our hands, our hearts will join in to say, and then I too once met Jesus who told me that he loved me, who forgave my sin, who changed my life forever. Father, thank you for those who are about to be baptized in this service. We pray even for those in the next. Pray that you give them calm hearts and clear voices. Father, the joy of understanding what it is they're doing and and that they are doing it for you because you love them so much. Father, we praise you for the gift of new life that we are about to celebrate now. We ask for your presence in the things that follow. In Jesus' name, amen.